what I, what I felt was, Jeff, I want you to do something different than what you want to do. You want to kick indoors. You want to kill bad guys. I want you to go minister to soldiers and at the soul level. And hello again, Jason Dennis here, your host for the Run the Race podcast. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. I know it's uh, busy times for everyone uh, because um, some schools starting, some schools not, uh, some sports starting, um, some sports not. So it's uh, definitely a confusing time. Uh, but one thing that's continuing on is our podcast and also my running because you know what today is as I'm recording this. This uh, is my 100th day on my run streak. Now, you may ask, what, what's a run streak? I've never heard of this. I, I don't even like running, or I, I do like running. I want to do it more. Uh, a run streak uh, requires you to do at least one mile a day. That's a jogging or running, whatever speed, doesn't matter what it is. So at least one mile a day. Well, since I've joined the great virtual race across Tennessee, concocted by the one and only Lazarus Lake, um, it requires you to do average about four or five miles a day because you need to get to 635 miles or more than a thousand K over the course of four months. I'm almost done with it. So I've averaged about six miles a day or 40 miles a week over the last three plus months. Uh, I've done more than 600 miles. So I've got about 30 miles to go to complete that great virtual race across Tennessee. Now, uh, our special guest, for today's uh, 34th episode of the Run the Race podcast is a former Army Ranger turned pastor who has an amazing, uh, chilling, um, heroic story to tell that is depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down. Uh, we're going to hear more about him in just a minute. And, you know, and actually, he just opened up a, a fairly new church called Two Cities Church. And uh, we were able to uh, recently uh, join them as they recorded uh, a church service, since a lot of them are online these days. So here's a kind of a taste of uh, what their worship sounds like. And more from their pastor, Jeff Struker, on his uh, military and faith career in just a few minutes. Uh, But I wanted to kind of give you something, uh, a taste of, uh, I was never in the military myself. But as a journalist, as a TV news reporter and anchor, one of the highlights of my career um, in this business of, you know, 22 years so far was about uh, 17 or 18 years ago involving Fort Benning, uh, one of the best Army installations uh, all over the world or nation. Um, I did a a special segment called The Basics of Basic. And, uh, you know, um, basic training is typically about 15 weeks or used to be at least back then. And so they gave me permission to come out there onto the Army post and kind of experience and and show people uh, through the camera what it was like going through basic training. We call it the basics of basics. So we did 15 special reports, one a week. This was about 18 years ago. So this was probably a a year or two after 9-11, the attacks there. And uh, it was just amazing. We we saw uh, these young men uh, coming uh, off groom transportation, this bus from the airport, and getting yelled at by drill sergeants, getting their their haircuts buzzed down, and uh, you know starting their new life. And uh, you see them at the end, 
you know, several months later, they are transformed. And, and you see them in this dress blue ceremony. They are warriors. They are soldiers. They have matured over the course of that time on Fort Benning. Uh, I got an opportunity to uh, shoot uh, guns with them, hang out with the drill sergeants, go through the gas chamber with them, which was uh, really uh, not something I never want to do again. Uh, that'll make a grown man cry and fall to your knees for sure. I even woke up one morning, did PT with them at 4 or 5 in the morning, and there was this one young private, uh, one of the ones I, I interviewed throughout that whole process, uh, that uh, was uh, looking to go into the ministry, and um, he, uh, his, his dad uh, was a pastor as well. So I remember those stories fondly, and, and you know, it reminds me of that because our, our guest for uh, this podcast is uh, Jeff Struker. He was an enlisted soldier for 13 years and then spent the last 10 years of his military career after that as an army chaplain, specifically for the 2nd Ranger Battalion. He enlisted originally back in 1987 as an 18-year-old, coming on to Fort Benning, eventually uh, becoming a ranger. And also, he was part of a two-man team that won the best ranger competition, one of the most elite competitions in the entire world. It's hard enough to become a ranger, but to win that competition, you have to be the best of the best of the best. And uh, so he was inducted into the Ranger Hall of Fame at Fort Benning, of course, did numerous tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, also deployed to Panama, Kuwait, and Somalia. Uh, he was part, back in 1993, of the team where he was a squad leader of what was depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down, that, uh, that very bloody battle in Mogadishu that left 18 American soldiers dead. He talks a lot about that in our interview today. He was awarded the Bronze Star Medal with Valor. Uh, he retired from the Army uh, back in 2011. And, uh, you know, after those numerous tours and everything else, he became eventually the, for, the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, and now he uh, has a new position as a pastor starting last year uh, of Two Cities Church, a new church in Columbus, Georgia, which is right next to Fort Benning. He's co-authored five books. Uh, he has his undergraduate degree from Troy University from 1998, his master's of divinity degree in 2000, and his Ph.D. philosophy, both those from Southern Baptist the Theological Seminary. So here's our discussion with a hero, Jeff Struker. to welcome Jeff Struker to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, a ranger, now a uh, pastor. And uh, I'd, I'd like to, um, you know, first, uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot about you opening a, a new church uh, in the Georgia area and so many other things in your life. But first, I wanted to, to take you back uh, to uh, a time that I'm sure was very pivotal for you um, as a ranger and uh, was depicted in the movie Black Hawk Down, um, the battle at Mogadishu in Somalia. So what was it like? You, know, you were the third ranger regiment, I believe, squad leader there. Um, what was that like being there? Because, I mean, people have seen the, the battle, you know, from, from decades ago on, on film, but not you experienced it. Yeah, I, I usually tell audiences when they ask me about uh, the movie Black Hawk Down that the book and the movie are really pretty accurate. In fact, they're exceptionally accurate for a major motion picture, but it's not nearly as violent as the real thing. So I had combat experience before getting to Somalia. I had uh, been in the Army for about six years, as you just said. I was a squad leader, and I'd already taken part in the invasion of Panama in 1989, already been to Kuwait in 1991. So needless to say, I'd been shot at. I'd seen guys in combat get killed. 
but nothing to the extent that we experienced in Mogadishu. And the intensity of that firefight was, it was pivotal, as you just mentioned. And, uh, you know, what, what was that like for you? And did that change things for you, you know, um, as a young squad leader, um, change your military career, maybe even change your life, you know, experiencing that? Yeah, a couple of really significant things happened either right during this battle or immediately after the battle. Um, one of the things, because I was a squad leader, my first concern was the safety and the success of my men. Um, of course, the movie depicts this pretty accurately. One of my guys is shot and killed instantly. The first guy killed in action in Somalia. And that really um, unsettled me a little bit. Not that I wasn't prepared for death, but just how quick that happened and how intense the firefight got and how, how rapidly it got to that level. And it pretty much stayed that way for 18 hours. Um, it is not an exaggeration to say for almost that entire 18 hours, I was absolutely convinced that I was gonna die. I never thought that I would see the light of day. I was trying to do my best not to make some tactical mistakes that would cost any more of my men their lives. So that was really my focus during the battle. But when the battle was over with, and the proverbial language, when the dust cleared the next day, um, my faith played such a massive impact in the way that I conducted myself on the battlefield that night that my friends that survived that battle started asking me questions about my faith, which I think set me on a path to becoming an army chaplain. And, you know, um, some people talk about how God protects you or protects me or um, and and sometimes you know people die and people ask why so for you did you what was your feeling kind of coming out of that or in the middle of that that you know that obviously you have friends that are dying and you survived is and do you kind of look at you know okay okay what did God do here yes that question was asked directly to me right after the battle was over with by some of my friends because they knew about my Christian faith I was pretty open about it and they came up to me saying, Jeff, I, I need to know, why did this happen? And we're supposed to be the best in the world. How could God let this happen? And that very question, what about my friends who just died last night? Why did God let that happen? But then some of them were asking me uh, this question that I think the Lord really used to kind of point me in a new direction. They said, Jeff, what happens to me if I go on a helicopter tomorrow, or if I have to go out on the Humvees with you and I die, uh, what happens next? And that was really the question that caused me to start thinking, most of my friends are not ready for eternity. And I felt like I was just because of my strong Christian faith. So I, I really kind of set off on a path to become an army chaplain and to go minister to those guys. We're going to talk a little bit today about your uh, your military career and that led to you being a chaplain and then, then to be a pastor now at several churches in, in the Georgia area. But I wanted to kind of get to know you a little bit better first. Sure. Um, we call it the Fast Four on the Run the Race podcast. So the first question is, and I know this has changed quite a bit for you maybe over the years, but what is your job description both at work and also now at home? Okay, as the pastor of a church, my job description is to shepherd the flock of God that he's given to me, basically to try to lead them well. And my job description at home would be the exact same thing, except for I do it in a very different way. It is to model my faith and to model leadership in such a way that my children and my wife would want to emulate that. And I know you were telling me, you, happy 30th wedding anniversary. Ah, thank you. And so how many kids, pets do you have? We have five children. 
And three grandchildren. Wow, it's yeah. a busy life. That's right. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, so uh, now that you, you've been out of the Army for, um, I think, almost a decade, uh, how do you still stay physically fit? Is that a, a priority? Yes, I work out six days a week. Um, I'm in the gym a few days a week, and I'm also running on the road uh, six days a week early in the morning. I get up now earlier today than I did while I was in the Army, um, but I'm an avid runner. I have been really my whole life, and I hope to keep running for the rest of my life. It's your, it's your PT, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, do you have uh, maybe a particular spiritual motto or something you're guided by, or maybe even a favorite Bible verse? Yeah, I have a couple of favorite Bible verses. One of them I try to model my life after. It's John chapter 3, verse 30. And this is when John the Baptist says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. So I try to model. That's the way that I try to live my life. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. That's awesome. Um, and what is uh, the last of the fast four? What is something unique about Jeff Struker? Uh, well, here's a little known fact. I really like, uh, in fact, I love classical music. Um, I love all genres of music, but I really, really enjoy classical music. You listen to some of that when you go running, perhaps? Uh, I don't listen to any music <laughs> when I'm running. I try to run as hard as I can, as fast as I can, so music tends to get in the way, but I, I really do enjoy classical. Gotcha. Uh, well, to kind of getting back to your story a little bit, um, you, know, you enlisted in the Army, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 1987. That's right. Um, and uh, so tell me about why you joined and what was it like? You know, you're an 18-year-old on Fort Benning. Yeah, I can tell you exactly what it was like when I got off the airplane and landed in Columbus, I mean, landed in Atlanta and drove down to Columbus. I was um, going to high school in the Midwest and I showed up to Fort Benning in the evening on, in September 1987. And I remember thinking, it is really hot and humid down here. Because <laughs> you're from Iowa. That's right. Um, really the reason that I joined the military was because I didn't really have a lot of military in my family, but I grew up in, uh, farming communities where if you didn't own a farm, there really wasn't a whole lot of job security or upward mobility. Um, so I just on a whim went to talk to an army recruiter while I was still in high school and asked him what is the toughest job in the army? And he steered me towards Fort Benning and the Ranger Regiment. And that's where I ended up. Was it, uh, was it scary for you or was it exciting as, as an 18 year old? Maybe you might have thought, you know, I'm invincible. And... No, it was both <laughs> scary and exciting. I mean, I, I, I remember leaving for the army thinking, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm cut out for the army. I don't know if I'm gonna pass. Um, but I was also excited about it and then just got up every day and thought, I'm just gonna do my best today. And if it's good enough, great. And if it's not good enough, then at least I gave it my best. So tell me about, you know, what's any particular highlight? Um, you know, we talked about the, the, obviously the battle of Mogadishu, but anything highlight could be negative or positive sure. from your military career. Without a doubt, the greatest single aspect of serving in the military were the amazing men and women that I had a chance to be in uniform with. And to this day, they're my heroes. And I have really looked all over the country and around the world. And I think you have some of the most talented, intelligent, committed Americans in the military. Um, I enjoyed everything about what I did, so I spent 13 years as an enlisted guy in the military and then another 10 more years as an Army chaplain. During those 13 years, I competed in and with the help of a partner, won the Best Ranger competition in 1996. That was a highlight. During those last 10 years, I went more than a dozen times to Iraq and Afghanistan. 
and had a chance to see guys do some amazing things on the battlefield. I think I'll, I'll remember those, those events for the rest of my life. And these are just, I mean, uh, you know, maybe ordinary guys or ordinary people doing extraordinary things, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I wish every American had the chance to see is the feats of valor, you know, the courage that I saw on the battlefield and exactly what you just said. These are just ordinary guys and gals that are rising to the occasion and really doing something extraordinary for our country. And I know, you know, ranger school can be grueling. A lot of people come to Fort Benning to, to become rangers and get the best ranger competition. Um, was, and, and we talk on this podcast about fitness. Um, how, you know, was there a lot of training involved with that? Or you, did you and your partner feel like, okay, we're already, we're ready, we're geared up, let's do it? Or was this like, you know, heavy duty, you know, getting ready for this? Yeah, uh, we trained, I trained for almost four years nonstop. Um, I competed three consecutive years, came in fourth in 1994 and 95, and then first place in 96, and then I coached in 1997 some of our teams. Um, and when you and, say train, what, what is that? Well, mean, like weightlifting? So my unit gave me about 90 days. That was the maximum amount of time to basically do nothing but train, which was um, every possible uh, physical exercise that you can think of, all of the technical events, a lot of the shooting, all of that stuff, my unit gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, I thought I had a really high level of fitness before I even started the training cycle for Best Ranger, but I realized you have to really take it to a very elite level. And then after 94 and 95, coming in fourth place both of those years, I trained in the off season for nine more months preparing for the next year's competition, like gave myself a week or two break and then went right back at it again. Now, do, do you miss uh, all that working out and training? Or yes. Maybe, maybe you don't. <laughs> I still, no, I still spend uh, probably an hour, hour and a half uh, a day uh, working out. And I think to myself, I'm nowhere close to the shape that I used to be in, in Best Ranger. But then again, I used to spend 18 hours a day working out I've, I obviously don't have that kind of time to give to it right now. Yeah, you're also 20 or 30 years older yeah, as well. So. Right. <laughs> um, so, and you talked about becoming a chaplain and having that job for a decade. Um, I'm not sure if you were with him the whole time, but you were with the Second Ranger Battalion. So what, what was that like, mixing faith and the military? Because, I mean, these are obviously two big passions for you. Yeah, that was one of my greatest experiences in the military. There were a few times in that 23-year career where I went to work in the morning and thought, this is exactly why God put me on planet Earth. And one of those times was that 2nd Ranger Battalion in Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And for the very reason that you just described, I had all of this combat experience as an enlisted soldier. Then I had the education from going to school and becoming an army chaplain. And that unit was going repeatedly to Iraq and Afghanistan. And I kind of realized, God, you've given me all of this previous experience and all of this education so that I could be in the right place right now when these guys need those two things. And yeah, for me, I never really struggled with my faith in Jesus Christ and being a strong, tough warrior. Those two things never really conflicted for me. So, and, and you alluded to this earlier as well, when and how were you called to the ministry? Was it, was it on the battlefield? Was it maybe you were younger perhaps? Um, my faith in Christ began at 13 years old. 
But I was convinced I'm just going to be a ranger sergeant for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to be that old man that they have to kick out of the army <laughs> who's sitting around drinking coffee and telling war stories. That's going to be me. And there was a very specific moment in time. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember the place and the time because I just felt this overwhelming um, pull of God. I don't, I wouldn't really ever want to say it was the voice of God, but while I was in Somalia, immediately after the battle, the very next day, I felt God kind of pushing me towards the ministry and said, Jeff, I want you, what I, what I felt was, Jeff, I want you to do something different than what you want to do. You want to kick indoors. You want to kill bad guys. I want you to go minister to soldiers and at the soul level. And that set me on the course to going to college, doing a seminary education, becoming an army chaplain. And you know, um, you know, you hear quite often people getting called to the ministry and it running from it. Were, were, were for you, like you said, it was not. This was not, you know, Jeff's plan. So were you terrified or kind of like, well, you know, or didn't hesitate? Like this is what God wants for me. If I thought I could run from it, I certainly would have because as you just described it, that was nowhere on my radar screen. Um, but I also realized uh, you can't run from this. And if this is what God wants me to do next, then I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Wow. And um, you retired from the Army in 2011. Um, and uh, so what was the transition like? Because, you know, it often can be difficult from soldier and army life to civilian and for you to pastor. Um, so what was that transition like? Has that been, was that smooth or, or has it been rocky? Yeah, if I can be honest with you, I really thought my last couple of years in the army, one of my goals was I had a few things that I wanted to do. When I've accomplished those things, I'll stick around the army until it's not time anymore, until it's time for me to leave. That may be at 30 years, that may be at 20 years or anywhere in the middle. I got to the point where it was pretty obvious it was time for me to leave. And I thought while I was still in the army, this will just be an easy, smooth transition. I learned, and I've told a number of friends this, uh, it was a lot harder on me than I thought it would be. And I struggled much more than I thought I was going to after getting out of the army. I just missed a lot of things about the army that I didn't think I would miss. Um, and, you know, you uh, tell me about, you know, um, I know you've been a senior pastor at at least one other church um, and now you've opened up a new church. Tell me about that and the decision to do that, because that's a can be a big step of faith. Yeah. as well. Um, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. As you just mentioned, we come from Iowa and we spent almost our entire army career in Fort Benning. We did a couple of other assignments, but almost all of it was here. Our children were born here. They developed lifelong friends here. So when we got ready to retire from the Army, I kind of asked her, hey, where would you like to spend the rest of your life? You've been, the Army's told us where we're going to go. Where would you like to go? And she and I both said, we don't want to leave here. We love this place. One of the things that I love about Columbus is not just the military influence, though I think you have some amazing men and women that are influenced in the Chattahoochee Valley because of the military. But I love how multicultural this community is. You have, because of Aflac and Tesis and Synovas, because of Columbus State, you have people from all over the world that are coming here. And because of Fort Benning, you have people going all over the world that live here. So it's really 
one of the world, it's like a, a large revolving door. And starting a church here just became, it just made sense to me. My heart is here. I love this community. I really believe that by influencing this community, you can influence the whole world because of how multicultural we are. But it was a huge step of faith. And uh, I also felt overwhelmingly, this is what the Lord was calling me to do. So it was one of those scary, but here we go decisions. This is totally terrifying, but here we go. And tell me about the name of this church and, and when you guys got started. Yeah, we started last year. Actually, we started meeting together in the lobby of a Burger King. That's, that tells you what kind of high rollers we're talking about. <laughs> um, we just started praying together and searching the scriptures together for about six months. Then we held our first Sunday service in, on January 26th, the last Sunday in January. And by the first Sunday in March, we were shutting things down because of the COVID virus. We've been online only ever since then, and we've stayed strong. We've stayed healthy. Actually, we've grown since the coronavirus and going to online only. And our plan is to go back to doing in-person and online starting in the first Sunday of September. Um, but the name Two Cities Church, it's actually a play on words. So if you're around here, you may naturally think he must be talking about Columbus and Phoenix City. But really, it comes from an ancient book by one of the old church fathers, a guy by the name of Augustine, who wrote a book that became one of the most influential early Christian books. The title of the book was The City of God. And in that book, he describes what it's like to be a Christian. And he says, you ultimately belong to the city of God. That's one of the cities but you live in the city of man, that's the second city, and somehow you have to learn to be a good citizen of two cities at the same time. I belong to the city of God and I live in the city of man. So the name two cities actually refers to heaven and here and helping people learn what it looks like to be a good citizen of both of those cities at the exact same time. And you know, um you know, like you were talking about with a, a pandemic, you know, kind of shutting things down just six weeks after you guys start meeting in person at a church was is, how have church members reacted or, or folks that have uh, that attend the two cities about uh, all this? Because, I mean, th thank goodness we have the technology to allow this, but still it's difficult not being fellowshipping. Yes, uh, I think most of our, our church members would say we really miss, we long for coming back in person. Um, but because of how incredible these people are, they have kind of wholeheartedly embraced the idea of, I get we can't do that right now. So we'll just, we'll just create communities in little small groups meeting virtually, and we'll stay connected to the um, church service when it goes live on Sundays. But I guess I really want to say, for a lot of pastors that have been around for a long time, a very large church is very well established churches, this must be really, really tough on them. Because we're brand new, because we're relatively small, because we're agile, if I can use that word, making a transition to online only, though it's a challenge, it's, it's a challenge that most of two cities just wholeheartedly embraced. Yeah. I think other churches, other pastors may have to struggle just because of the history and 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 the size of the church that they have to help make this transition. You have that routine for yeah. 10, 50, 100 years, yeah. perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, 
we hear so much about mental health being an issue, Christians, non-Christians, whatever, in the middle of this pandemic. So what have you found in terms of, you know, seeing COVID-19 for the last 14, I mean, for the last four or five months? Um, do you think it's uh, made people's faiths stronger or do you think it's been really challenging for, for people? I think it's done both. I think for some people it has really caused them to focus on what's important and that's when they get deep into the roots of their faith. I think for others that kind of had, and I don't want to use this word in a bad way, if they had kind of a shallow faith to begin with and I was just going to church because it was socially expected of me, I think a lot of them just totally stopped, meaning it really wasn't that deep to begin with. And now that they are not meeting in person and nobody's checking up to see if I'm watching it online, I can just go ahead and stop watching it. But I also believe that COVID-19 has challenged a lot of people emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And I think a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders have stepped up and tried to meet those challenges and minister to people. Um, but wow, I, I see people struggling all over the country, all over our community because of the lack of interaction. Yeah. Taking a lot of things that we took for granted, we don't take those for granted anymore. Yeah, maybe not as many hugs or high fives or, yeah. or in person because it's, it's watching online church services it's just different dynamic. Yeah, I mean, just a family birthday party or a simple barbecue in the backyard has become a really challenging thing in our society all over the country. Um, and I think a lot of us just took those things for granted before. Now, maybe coming out of this, we don't take those things for granted. And you talked about that military transition from the battlefield to chaplain. And, you know, for maybe, I mean, for men in particular, you know, you have, you feel like there's a choice between being this, um, you know, strong, focused warrior or a compassionate Christian. And, you know, um, so how, you know, I mean, this men and women really, but how, how can you do both? Yeah. Uh, it, it can, how can you, you know, because, you know, sometimes guys don't want to cry or they don't want to uh, express their feelings to their spouse because that makes them look, quote, weak. I am glad you asked this question. I just need to say, I didn't set this question up, but this is one of my favorite questions to answer because I think there's a myth out there and I have set out my entire adult life to shatter this myth. And the myth is that Christianity or a man of faith in general is weaker than the guy who has no real faith to speak of. As you just said, the guy who is willing to show his emotions, the guy who is... Um, expressive about what he believes. I think the myth is, oh, this, this guy's weak. And my goal while I was in the army and after getting out of the army is to shatter that myth and to say, no, real strength is the ability to be comfortable with your emotions, to show your emotions even when they're, uh, they're difficult for you and to be able to be comfortable with it. Or more importantly, what I used to say when I was a ranger is, Hands down, the toughest man that ever walked on the earth was Jesus. And when you look at who he really was and what he really did, you will quickly see his followers were not weak either. And I think Christians should show an example of strength and resolve just under the submitted to um, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So my entire goal in life is to shatter the myth that you have to be weak in order to be a Christian. 
And you hear often, you know, the the phrase that used to be used, uh, maybe still is, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, do you think that if, if Jesus was in the army, what, what, what rank he would He would be what, the what? toughest guy in the, <laughs> he'd, he'd, no he'd the, question, the, the he would be the, the tough, he would be the toughest guy out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, you know, you hear so often, and especially here at Fort Benning, which is one of the top, you know, five in terms of size and, and number of soldiers come through the army. And I think a third of all soldiers come through here, yeah. you know, uh, that, that are in the U.S. Army, especially around here. You've got a lot of young soldiers and a lot of military families, a lot of veterans. So um, what's your message for them or really for anyone about, you know, if if they're searching for truth or maybe especially in this pandemic, you're just you're angry at God. Like, why? Why are you doing this to us? You know, and and uh, just taking like so much away from us. Yeah, I always suggest that people be honest with God. In fact, I was literally just talking to a guy on the phone today from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I let him know, hey, look, God is big enough that he can handle your your frustration or your anger or your disappointment. Just you're not fooling him by holding it back. So just let it go. But I also believe that if you will genuinely look for truth, if you're really open to it, that the truth of the Bible, the God of the Bible who revealed himself in Jesus Christ will show you I can handle your pain. I can walk with you in the middle of this anger. I'm not going to run away and I'm not going to spank you or discipline you because you asked some hard questions or because you said some things to me that you, that um, somebody one time when you were a child told you you weren't supposed to say to God, like, I think he's big enough that he can handle it. Um, I think what God really wants from people is for us to be totally honest with him and totally honest with ourselves. I also believe that's the starting point for getting healthy, spiritually and emotionally. When you're no longer hiding your emotions, no longer trying to be somebody you're not, just be totally raw honest with God and in the process, be totally raw honest with yourself. And along with you know being um, you know, healthy spiritually, emotionally, being healthy physically is, is important as well, you know, because um, you know, our body is the temple and, and can be you know, a great example for, for others and for our kids. Um, for you, you know, you talked earlier about some of the training you do on a on pretty much daily basis, going to the gym and working out. But you talked about running, and, and I'm, I enjoy running um, you know, pretty much every day now and, and um, you know, run marathons. And so for you, you know, um, I hear oftentimes that soldiers, former soldiers, people in their army, they tend to not like running when they get out of the army because maybe they had to run in yeah. these these god awful boots or whatever else or, or you know up a hill uh, for five miles. So for you, uh, you know, did you you uh, still really love running? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of soldiers the the pounding on your body, especially what it does to your joints. Running can be brutal for you. Um, I have always said God has just blessed me with unusual health. So I've never really had a running injury in my life, and I'm 50 years old. I run literally six days a week. Sunday's the only day of the week that I don't run and have since I was a teenager. Um, but for me, running is not just a way to stay fit and to, as you just mentioned, um, honor this temple, my body that, the God, that God has given me. But running is a way for me to relieve stress. Running is a way for me to get some thoughts off of my head. In fact, what I told my assistant before is I'm in a really bad mood. I'm usually really grumpy if anything cuts into my workout. So if I'm just, you know, 
uh, angry in the mornings, early in the mornings. It's probably because something messed up my workout. When, I, when I'm able to work out, I find that I'm in a much better mood because I've been able to process a lot of stuff. That's why I don't run with headphones on. I just run and think and pray, but I can process a lot of stuff when I'm running what and I'm you, in a better mood. <laughs> what would you say to folks that maybe, because you know, I hear this from friends that say, oh, I don't really like running and I don't really want to do it. What, what would you say to folks about, okay, you know, um, you know, how do you motivate yourself to be fit? Yeah, I would tell them, okay, don't run. Um, a lot of people hate running with a passion. I don't. I love it. Um, so get on a mountain bike or go to the gym and take it out on the weights. Just bang some plates around and get your frustrations out on those or take a Zumba class or go do a spin class or something like that. But do something because we're such a sedentary society. We're a society that sits almost all day long. Your body needs this, but you don't, if you don't do it regularly, you may not realize just how much better you'll feel about yourself, just how much better you'll feel about your day. If you'll just go take some frustration out, do it at the gym, do it on a paddle board on the Chattahoochee, do it wherever you want to do it. Just do something. <laughs> yeah, something that you enjoy and, and maybe with, with friends or yeah. family as well. Um, one last question for you, and I think I've read up on uh, that some things that others have said about you, Jeff, about how you um, ha are very calm, remain calm amidst chaos. And going back to the battle at Mogadishu, um, for you, you talked about the, those 18 hours. Well, I mean, because that is, you know, chaos personified, I'd imagine, and people dying and, and just you, f you felt like you were going to die. So how do you remain calm amidst um, a crisis like that? I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. It really was a gift from God. And if I have time, I'll tell you a really quick story. The actor who plays me in the movie Black Hawk Down, his name is Brian Van Holt. And Brian came here and he met with a bunch of rangers and he was doing some research like all of the rangers that played in Black Hawk Down. And Brian and I met together for about half a day before he started filming the movie. And Brian said, Jeff, every ranger that I talked to that was there with you, they all said the same thing about you and I don't understand. They all said when everyone else around you was totally freaking out, you were completely calm. How is that possible? Well, first of all, he said, is this true? Because I'm trying to do, I'm try, I want to do this role um, accurately. And secondly, if it's true, I don't understand how that's possible. So I said, Brian, yes, it's true. And the second answer is really easy, though you probably are not going to like what I have to say. And I said, the second answer is I was totally calm because I was absolutely certain that I was going to die. And I did not care. I can tell you exactly where this conversation happened because it was right here in Columbus, right before he left to go film the movie. They filmed it in Morocco, in Africa. And he was getting on the plane the next day. And he said, I totally don't understand what you're talking about. And I said, Brian, I got myself to the point where I was absolutely certain that I was going to die. But as a 13-year-old boy, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. He radically changed me and I was totally certain that I was going to go to heaven. So when everyone else is scared to death, literally with this phrase, literally scared that I'm going to die in the next few moments, I was certain that I was going to die, but I didn't have the fear that they had because I had this certainty of heaven. And I could see in his eyes the gears starting to turn when I made this statement. So when Brian did my role in the movie, you'll see that he's 
trying to be very level-headed and trying to be very, you know, um, objective when everybody else is, when stuff is going crazy. And I think he really did a great job with it. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you go back and watch the movie very much? Or is that something that you don't want to remember what happened there many, you know, decades ago? I talk about Black Hawk Down a lot. Um, I've never struggled uh, with, never lost a night of sleep over what happened, what I've done or what I saw. I'm asked to speak about it at this point thousands of times. I haven't been able to take most of those requests, but I've been asked to speak about Black Hawk Down a lot. We don't watch it in my house because, you know, everybody in the house rolls their eyes when they're flipping through the channels and Black Hawk Down's on. They're like, no, we're not watching that. Turn to something else. Um, but the reason why I feel like it's a privilege to speak about Black Hawk Down, and by the way, I try not to talk about me much when I'm talking about Black Hawk Down. I try to talk about my friends that fought and died beside me, and I try to talk about my faith. I consider it a privilege because I'm still here and a lot of rangers who were better warriors than I are not. And I feel like this is one way that I can keep their memory alive. So if an audience gives me the chance and it works with my schedule, I'm gonna go tell them about those great men who are no longer here because they gave their life in a far off land that most people don't even know where it is and could care less about it, but it is part of paying for our freedom. And I think Americans need to know about these guys. Yeah, we salute them for sure. And so if folks want to find you, um, uh, Pastor Jeff Struker, uh, where, where can they find you? Or Two Cities Church, the number two, twocitieschurch.com, or you can go to my website, jeffstruker.com. Great. And then uh, I usually close the podcast with a prayer. So I'm going to kind of... Uh, pass the uh the baton are on you, you sure because if, if you, you, you're you, more than welcome to if, do if, that if you can uh, if you can close us out in prayer yeah i'd be happy to do that thank you god for a few moments to just have an honest conversation and father we've already said that in this um coronavirus uh season that we're all experiencing not just around the country but around the world there's a lot of people that are struggling and so, God, right now, I lift up to you people that are struggling emotionally and some that are struggling spiritually, and they're looking for answers on why is this happening. And many that are struggling uh, financially who have lost their jobs and their careers have just evaporated. God, would you be at work in each one of those circumstances? Would you cause people to lean on you and realize that your shoulders are big enough to handle the stress or the pressures that they're dealing with? I pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, thanks very much, uh, Jeff Struker, for joining us. We appreciate it and for, uh, for your great uh, military and, and faith stories. And uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you. Maybe, maybe we'll go on a run yeah, sometime. That sounds great. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. And that was a great discussion. It was a great to meet him. And I know he goes all around the country and uh, speaks about uh, Black Hawk Down, is asked to do that. And it's a great opportunity for him to, to share his faith as well uh, because of all he has achieved through the military and what he's experienced, some traumatic things, some very rewarding things. He also was telling me about something uh, that is going on that you can participate in that's happening this fall in, in virtual fashion, of course. It's called the Mogadishu Mile, and uh, it's also uh, nicknamed the Mog Mile. They're doing a memorial run, 
and it commemorates the members of the task force rangers killed during Operation Gothic Serpent on October 3rd, 1993. Uh, in addition, this raises money to benefit U.S. Army Rangers. So you can find uh, search Mogadishu Mile or Mog Mile Memorial Run. It usually takes place in the Columbus, Georgia, Fort Benning area in, in early fall, early October. It only costs about $25. Uh, it happens on October 2nd. Um, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But again, this is all going to be done virtually. And uh, they, you, know, they're, you can go to their Facebook pages, and they're actually at 6.20 p.m. that day. They're going to do a fast rope demonstration, national anthem, invocation, and opening remarks if you want to be a part of it. But he says you can really do that Mogadishu Mile uh, and, and do it virtually anywhere. There's going to be soldiers doing it all over the world in Afghanistan, Iraq, Fort Benning, everywhere else as well. So uh, to be a part of that, search that online. And um, and the parting gift for today uh, actually comes, I found it online, from Sergeant Jeff Struker, uh, who was on that Ranger Task Force, again, in Somalia back in 1993. He said, or our guest today, his quote is, the difference between being a coward and a hero is not whether you're scared, it's what you do while you're scared. So again, it's what you do while you're scared. There's going to be those moments in life for all of us, some crisis. We're going through right now the pandemic and and choices we have to make. Um, But when it comes down to it, it's how you react to it. Um, As a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a soldier, as a lawyer, as a a, uh, doctor, as a, a firefighter, teacher, uh, whatever you do in life, it's it's you know we're gonna have times where we're scared, and we and you know, admittedly so because we all are uh, we are, we're human, and we know that God can give us strength for sure. And with our final segment of the podcast, food for thought, uh, we uh, dive into the world of Army when it comes to fitness and faith. And we're going to start on the uh, the fitness side of things. Here's something to inspire you, uh, no matter how old you are. Uh, this is from Renew Houston Fitness uh, out of Houston, Texas. And the correspondent there, the, the title of the article is, At 101 years old, this World War II vet pumps iron. So uh, Leonard Pater Johnson, that's his name. His motto is keep moving. So he's 101 years old. He pumps iron twice a week at the Ageless Muscle Fitness Center in Houston. Good for him. Uh, He's able to make it to the gym even during the pandemic because actually the gym owner there, uh, a kinesiologist and orthopedist, closed the gym to everyone but this 101-year-old Johnson cleaning things extensively. Uh, the gym has become essential for this uh, this elderly man as the uh, the two of them, they went through a 45-minute full-body workout to work on Johnson's range of motion, overall health. Uh, this uh, older gentleman's granddaughter said that, quote, he doesn't think he's old now, but he doesn't want to get old and not be able to do certain things. So Johnson, 101 again, is a World War II veteran born in 1918. He grew up in Louisiana, uh, and drafted into the Army, training soldiers as a sergeant at a boot camp in San Antonio, and then serving on the SS Woodbridge Victory. 
those who know him say he's uh, very spry, even during workouts. And he, he, they say he actually counts his reps in Spanish to help build two skills at once, his fitness and his uh, learning different languages. Johnson stays active at home, practicing dance moves on his 40-foot-long dance room in his house. And uh, he says, well, it's like when the world went to war. You just have to buckle down and it becomes a new normal. And then you make adjustments as you see fit. We salute you, Mr. Johnson. On the faith side of things, uh, this is uh, related to war. Uh, Pope Francis is saying that weapons must be set aside for peace to flourish. This is in the Catholic News Service. Uh, Pope Francis saying that especially nuclear weapons that can obliterate entire cities and countries, they need to be set aside and put down. He said this on the 75th anniversary of the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima. He said, quote, May the prophetic voices of the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki continue to serve as a warning to us and for coming generations. Again, this happening back in 1945 during World War II when the U.S., if you remember, dropped atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki about three days apart uh, that year in August to get Japan to surrender. At least 200,000 people dying from the blast or the, the after effects. Uh, and uh, Pope Francis saying he, he continues to hold in his heart the longing of the people of the time and uh, people who thirst for peace and make sacrifices for peace and uh, really wanting to stop the violence and the conflict. That is, again, from Pope Francis from the Catholic News Service. Again, thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. Remember, you can go anytime to WTVM.com slash podcast. That's my TV station, WTVM.com slash podcast to listen to any of the other previous 33 episodes. Uh, and uh, you can also go to, uh, of course, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, where we'd love for you to write a review there, five-star. Just write a quick sentence or two, help us keep things going. And if you have anything you would like to uh, hear about or guests you would like me to talk to uh, concerning fitness or faith, any particular topics, you can email me, jdennis at wtvm.com. That's J-D-E-N-N-I-S at wtvm, as in martin.com. And uh, again, uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Keep us staying fit out there emotionally, physically, and spiritually. God bless.